while back, I shared with you about how I was online a while back looking for books on evangelism and was overwhelmed by the amount. There was a book called Conversational Evangelism, another one called Lifestyle Evangelism, Grace Evangelism, Power Evangelism, Spirit-Led Evangelism, Real Evangelism, Honest Evangelism, Evangelism That Changes Lives, all kinds of books on evangelism. There are also tons of, of tracts and booklets on evangelism. Some that say the, the one thing you need to know. There are others that say the five steps, six steps, four spiritual laws. There have been a lot of books written and a lot of materials produced and a lot of methods given when it comes to evangelism. But like I said a while back, the best way to learn how to be a great effective witness for Christ is to look to God's word and look at and learn from the examples of his people. And that's what we're going to do again this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. I know it's been a while since we've been in Acts. We've had a bit of a break, but we're back. We're going to be looking at a very familiar story this morning as we look at verses 19 through 40 of Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking at the story of Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer. And in this passage, we learn by looking at the actions of Paul and Silas how to be great and fruitful witnesses for Christ. So I want to share a few principles with you on this while we look at this great story. First, we see this. To be a great, fruitful witness for Christ, one must first, number one, be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Now, before we get into this passage, let me remind you of where we were last time, because I know you've slept a lot since then. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Remember, he and Barnabas have a fallout, so he picks up Silas, and they go, and they pick up Timothy along the way, and Luke along the way, and they finally set sail for Europe, and their first stop is the city of Philippi. And at Philippi, Paul and the others, they have two encounters with two different types of women. We talked about that last time. The first encounter they have is with a woman named Lydia and other devout, uh, God-fearing ladies, and they share Christ with them, and Lydia comes to Christ, and so do the ones in her household. And she becomes the host of the church in Philippi. And then they have an encounter with a completely different type of woman, a slave girl with a spirit of divination. Remember, she was following Paul and the others around, and she was crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God, which was true, right? We said that. We talked about the fact that Satan often speaks truth for a while to get his hooks in and then to lead people astray. He does that quite a bit. He does that with the cults and, and with other groups as well. And that's what he was getting at here. But Paul sees right through this with the help of the Holy Spirit. He has discernment there. And we're told that he became greatly annoyed 
by this and he, he turned to this woman and he said to the spirit inside of her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And we're told that the, that evil spirit came out of her that very hour. Now, you have to think that that would be a good thing, right? That, that, that people would be relieved to know that this girl was no longer tormented by this wicked spirit. But we are told that her owners were not happy at all. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Her owners were not happy. And the reason why is because they were making money off this slave girl. Like fortune tellers and psychics do today, they were making a fortune off of divination. So Paul's actions here hit these guys right in the wallet. And the, these owners, they cared little about this slave girl and the fact that she was being tormented by this evil spirit. Their only concern was the fact that they had lost their income. So they became angry. We're told when their hope of, of gain was gone, they took it out on two of the four. They took Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers in Philippi. Now, I want you to notice something here. We see a little insight into the strategies of the enemy here, the strategies of Satan here. And he often works in the same ways, but, but he changes his approach at times. One way he works is through infiltration. He tries to weasel his way in to God's people as a wolf among the sheep to lead people astray. That's the way he was working at first in this story. But Paul, with the help of the Holy Spirit, he sniffs his plan out and he casts this evil spirit out of this girl. And then notice that, that Satan changes his approach, which always backfires, this approach does, and that is he brings about persecution. If he can't rip the church apart from the inside, he tries to do so from the outside. And I'm sure Paul and Silas knew that there was great risk in casting this spirit out of this woman, but they did not want Satan's plan of infiltration to work. So they cast this spirit out of this woman for the sake of God's gospel. They gave no thought to themselves. They were willing to sacrifice everything, even their own lives, for the cause of of Christ. They knew that the advancement of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was more important than their own lives. And we need to stop here for a minute. And I need to ask you, is this your perspective? Do you believe that being willing to pay the price and sacrifice everything for the cause of Christ is worth it? Some, if they're being honest, would say that it's not. They're being really honest. They would say that. But folks, God tells us in his word that it always is. It, it always is. Confronting the world so that God may do his work is worth the risk. And some ask, well, I may lose my job for that. That's what we're faced with here. Not necessarily losing our lives, but our job. 
lose a friend, might get made fun of at work or at school, might get ridiculed by a professor or an employer. Listen, folks, God's word says it's always worth it. And again, Paul and Silas and the others, they knew this to be true and they suffered greatly as a result. Notice what happens to them. Look again at verse 19. Look at what we see here. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Verse 23 And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's take just a moment to talk about what just happened here in greater detail. Let's break this down. First, they're dragged into the marketplace. This was the place where people were often tried for various offenses in this city. And they brought them before the the leaders in Philippi and they said, these men are Jews who are disturbing our city. They are throwing our city into chaos, which was what they were doing, right? That's not untrue. Remember we said before that the gospel often does this. It disrupts. It stirs things up. Though it brings people together from from different backgrounds in Christ, it also polarizes people, families, and, and, and friends. So... That's not an untrue statement that they make there. And the Romans, they, they hated this because they wanted people to live in peace. They did not like for things to be chaotic in, in these cities because that weakens the empire. They also said they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And that statement was also true. According to the well-known Roman politician Cicero and early church leader Tertullian, the Romans had a law that no Roman could believe in or follow teachings of any religion that had not been approved by the Senate. Now, Christians got a pass early on because they often were associated with the Jews. They were just a sect of Judaism which was approved. But as they began to make that separation, began to minister more to the Gentiles, they, they stuck out more and, and then came persecution. And so they, they accused these Jews of, of teaching these strange, unapproved beliefs. And so notice what happens as a result. We're told in verse 22 that a large crowd rose up against Paul and Silas. And without any sort of official trial, I want you to remember that. Keep that in the back of your minds. Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten with rods and put in stocks and put in prison. They suffered greatly for this. And let me ask you this. Do you think at this time they begin to sort of rethink their ministry a bit? Well, I'm sure they have moments of weakness like, like any of us would. 
But Paul and Silas and the others, we learn as we study the scripture, we learn that that they learn firsthand the cost of following Jesus. And we see that they were willing and made that sacrifice over and over again. And though they suffered greatly for the cause of Christ, notice here, through their suffering came great fruit. We learn later in the scripture that in this godless city, out of this godless city, comes one of Christ's greatest churches. Paul's letter to the Philippians is one of his most positive. It was a great church. It became a great church here. So they were willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ and great fruit, we're told, came from their labor. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, what about me? What about you? What about, what about us? What are we willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Are you willing, if it be God's will, to lay everything down for Jesus? This is what he calls for us to be willing to do, even though he may not call for us to do it. Jesus said, you want to come after me? What do you got to do? You got to take up your cross. You got to take up your instrument of death and follow me. Now, he don't want us to be careless, but he also doesn't want us to be fearful. He wants us to be faithful and to be willing to sacrifice for his son and for his gospel and for his kingdom if it comes to that. And get this, out of that kind of commitment comes great fruit. Great fruit. So to be a great and fruitful witness for Christ, we must be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Here's the second point. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Real easy to say. Real difficult to apply. But listen, God is clear in his word that the joy that he brings to us through the accomplished work of his son and through the power of his Holy Spirit is truly great and powerful. Do you believe it? And and it enables us to endure the darkest of storms. It's able to carry us through the toughest of trials. It's able to grow us in the most difficult of times. And oftentimes, God uses our response in suffering to show others the truth of his message and the power of his work in our lives. I've seen it. I've seen it here in this church. We have people in our church who have had to go through horrific things. We have a family that's going through that right now. They're in the midst of it. Do you know what I've seen? I've seen the truth of Christ, and I have seen the truth of his gospel in those people's response, in the way in which they have endured. I've seen it. And we see it here with Paul and Silas. Look at what happens. Verse 25. About midnight... Paul and Silas were what? What were they doing in prison? Were they griping and complaining? Feeling sorry for themselves? Second-guessing their calling? No. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And notice who's listening. We're told the prisoners were listening 
to them. Now, though Paul and Silas did not deserve to be where they were, there were probably quite a few in that prison who were in the right place, right? Who deserved to be locked up for whatever reason and needed Jesus. What a witness Paul and Silas are being here for these other prisoners. Here you have Paul and Silas doing prison ministry right here. Same as Jesus did to the thief on the cross, right? Now, how could they praise God in their situation? I mean, they were just faithfully serving the Lord, doing what he had called for them to do. And as a result, they were stripped and beaten and put into stocks in prison. Let's be honest. Their circumstances were terrible. What did they have to be happy about? Why were they, why were they praising God and praying to him and singing songs of praise to him? Here's the answer. You probably already know it, don't you? The reason they could sing praises in the midst of that difficult circumstance is because what God had given to them, no one or nothing could take away. They were free, even though they had been locked up. They had life, even though they faced death. Though they had been stripped of everything this world has to offer, they were rich spiritually in Christ and the freedom they had in Christ and the abundant and eternal life they had through faith in Him and the riches they had spiritually because of Christ brought nothing but songs of praise to their lips. Listen. When God's people respond in this way, God does a great work in and through that. He blesses that faithfulness. If you're in a dark and difficult storm in your life right now, though it is truly painful, it's good to be honest about what you're going through. God knows the way you feel anyways, right? You can read the lament psalms and know it's, 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 it's good to be, to be honest with God that it's truly painful, incredibly difficult, at times almost unbearable. But listen, this is very, very important. I want you to get this. Do not let your bad circumstances alter good theology. You hear me? Do not let bad circumstances alter good theology. Remember that God is there with you. And he makes great work out of the worst of situations. And he will in yours if you will lift your eyes above your circumstances and look to him and look upon his greatness and think about his great work that he has done and is doing and will do in your life and rejoice in him in the storm that you're in and look to him so that others may see your works and your joy in the midst of your storm and turn to him and praise him as well. That's the response. That's another way to be a great, fruitful witness for Christ. When tough times come, don't let bad circumstances alter good theology, but instead remain faithful and rejoice in the Lord always. Look at the next point. To be a great and fruitful witness for Christ, you must faithfully share God's message of salvation in Jesus. Notice what happens next in the story. While Paul and Silas are praying and singing songs of praise to God, look at verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now, folks, I hope you see here that, that this 
earthquake was not just a random occurrence. Do you see that? I mean, this is a very specific earthquake that God sends. Notice the earthquake shook the foundation of the prison and all the bonds were unfastened and all the doors in that prison were were open. God is doing this for a reason. We're going to see in just a minute that he's doing this for the sake of this jailer, and he's doing this for the sake of his gospel. But before we look at that, I want you to notice something here. At times, for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, he moves heaven and earth for it to happen. Here, he literally moves the earth to bring this jailer to his knees. I know many of you in here, most of you, have people on your hearts that you're praying for, people in your families, friends, neighbors, kids, parents, brothers, sisters. Pray that God would use whatever means necessary to bring them to their knees. Are you willing to pray that? To pray that God would pull out all the stops to save them? If not, you really need to question how important you believe this gospel to be. Look at verse 27. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, I want you to notice here, this jailer's entire life was defined by his vocation. This is all he had. Prestige and honor as a Roman. He was probably a good jailer, took pride in his work, and suddenly, in a moment, every jail door was open. The restraints had been removed. And I'm sure he's thinking to himself, who on earth is going to believe me when, when I say that an earthquake caused this? And he was probably also thinking to himself, when he sees the doors wide open, What prisoner is going to remain inside? He assumed they were gone, so he drew his sword and was about to take his own life. His little world, his little kingdom that he had built for himself was wrapped up in being the best jailer he could be, and in a few seconds it all came crumbling down. And I was thinking about this this week. How many of us are are, are in this boat? We have our little kingdoms that we've built, that we value more than anything. And all they really are is just a house of cards that could crumble in a moment. That's what happened to this jailer. But before he could take his life, notice what happens, verse 28. Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, we know why Paul and Silas probably stayed in the, in the prison, right? But why did the others? That's a good question. We don't really know. Luke doesn't, doesn't tell us. Maybe it was because God was supernaturally keeping them in place. Maybe it was because they were too scared to move. We're not told. We know that God wanted them to stay put. He's sovereign over this situation. What we know here is that Paul stops this jailer from taking his life and he tells him all the prisoners are in their cells. Well, this was just too much. Verse 29, look at how he responds. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice God's great work here. 
He has reversed things in this guy's life in a matter of minutes. This man who had thrown Paul and Silas in prison and put them in stocks and locked them up in a cell was now down on his face before them in fear, pleading with them to tell him how to be saved. I'm sure he had heard their message somewhere. He knew about them. And now he believed in their message here Listen, do you question whether or not God can save your hard-hearted family member or your unbelieving neighbor? Just remind yourself of God's great work in this story. That should give you comfort. Keep praying, keep sharing, keep being faithful to share Christ with them. This man was changed. And he comes to Paul and Silas wanting answers. And I love how they do not waste this opportunity. They were faithful. Whenever the door opened for them to faithfully proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they did it. May it be said of us as well that we do not waste opportunities that that God has given us. They don't. This jailer, he gives them a wonderful invitation here. He comes right out and says, what must I do to be saved? Now, it took an earthquake for him to see it, but this man's eyes had been opened, and he came to understand that he was fighting on the wrong side, fighting against God. He was an enemy of God's and desperately needed to be saved. And how do Paul and Silas respond? I love this. Look at it, verse 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. How are we saved, folks? Christ alone, by believing and trusting in Him and in Him alone. If you're trying to share God's message of salvation with someone and you do not mention Jesus, you've not shared the gospel, but you've shared a message that leads to death. Jesus is the way for us to be saved. He is the only way. Remember what Peter said about it in Acts 4.12? He said this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. He said this of himself. John 14, 6, I am the way, Jesus says, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way for you. He is the only way for me. He is the only way for us. He is the only hope for those in our homes, our circle of friends, in our neighborhood, in our, the places of business, where we work and where we go to school. Christ is the only way. To be saved. Remember in our series in October, we went over the the five solas, the five alones of Christianity. We said we are saved by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing, period. That was their message to the jailer. And he responded to that message in faith and was forever changed. And, And how do we know? That he was a true, genuine convert? Well, let's look at the evidence here. One, he wanted those closest to him to hear the message of Jesus Christ. That's good fruit, isn't it? You want to tell others? Look at verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So this jailer responded to this message. He heard this message, responded to it, and wanted his family to hear about it as 
well. Guys, husbands, fathers, we ought to be leading in our homes in this way. We need to be treasuring God's gospel and living as Christ in the home and faithfully sharing Christ to those who are in our household. Just like this. Notice what else that showed that he had been saved. We're told he identified publicly with Christ and his church through believers' baptism. Just like Lydia in her household. You remember that? Look at the latter half of verse 33. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Christ did a work in their heart and life. They responded in faith and they trusted in him. And then they decide to make this decision public by being baptized. They wanted to show outwardly what God had done in their life inwardly. And that's why we do baptism. It's a picture of what has taken place in the life of a believer. And it, it also shows who is, who is now a part of the, of the church, who is a part of the family of faith. And they were doing that as well. So this is a great sign that they had been completely transformed. This man also showed that he had been changed by the gospel and the way he loved those around him. Look at that. Look at the first part of verse 33. And he took them the same hour, Paul and Silas, same hour of the night, and washed their wounds. Now, before salvation, this jailer had little concern for them, right? He had thrown Paul and Silas into prison, put them into stocks, which was terribly painful, and he was sleeping soundly. But after he gave his life to Jesus, his attitude toward them changed drastically. He went from persecuting God's people to loving and caring for them. Jesus said this, people will know that you are my disciples, church, believers, if you have love for one another. This man proved that he was a true and genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus by the way in which he loved and cared for God's people. He was also hospitable. He, like Lydia, was hospitable. He opened his home to God's people. Look at, look at verse 34. Then he brought them, Paul and Silas, up into his house and set food before them. Like we said in our last sermon in Acts in November, the Bible has a lot to say about the importance of hospitality. God's people are those types of people who are hospitable. They, they use their homes. They use their resources for God's kingdom work. And this man did. And one last thing we see here that shows that this jailer and his household had been forever changed from the inside out by the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Notice they rejoiced with God's people. He and his family rejoiced with God's people. We're told, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Again, what a, what a transformation that's taken place. This guy has gone from persecuting God's people to wanting to end his own life, to die physically, to being made alive spiritually and loving and caring for God's people and opening up his home to them. What a great transformation that God has brought about here. So to, to have a great and fruitful ministry, we need to be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. We should rejoice in the Lord always, and we should faithfully share God's message of salvation in Jesus so that people will hear that message and so that they will repent and respond and trust Christ in, in, in faith, place their faith in Him. There's one last thing here, one last point I want to show you that we have here in this passage, the fourth and final key 
to a great fruitful ministry is to care for the flock of God. We got to care for God's people. Y'all have been doing an incredible job with those who've been hurting, been doing what you've called to do, and uh, have been doing a wonderful job at it. We've got to care for God's people. Paul's had two major concerns in his ministry. He wanted to take the gospel and make Christ known where he was not known. He wanted to see God's gospel advance from Antioch all the way to Rome. He wanted to do that, but he also cared for the church, and he cared for God's people, and he invested in people, and he went back to them, and back to them, and back to them, and and discipled them. He was doing what Christ had called for him to do. He was making disciples. He went back and discipled those in the church while in prison or when he was held up in places. He wrote letters to the churches and he sent other believers to those believers that he had shepherded. Paul cared for God's people. He cared for the flock. And we know that he had a deep love for the Philippians. He loved them. We see that in his letter to them. And he provides care for them early on. We see it here. Look at verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. So, so they were going to let Paul and Silas go. They thought, we've given them a good beating, so hopefully they'll leave and never come back. Well, look at verse 36. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. Uh Uh-oh, that's a problem. And have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, Paul says. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Probably with the pretty please with sugar on top. So notice what Paul does before he leaves. He doesn't let them release he and Silas quietly. You see, he and Silas were Roman citizens. And if word would have gotten out that they were treated in the way in which they were in Philippi, a Roman colony, a place where they took pride in their Roman citizenship, and they had been beaten corporately and not given a fair trial as Roman citizens, the leaders in that city would have been in deep trouble. Notice we're told in verse 39 and 40 that they were afraid and they apologized to them quickly. Now, I don't know why Paul waited to this moment to uh, reveal that about them, but as we look at the story, we know why God allowed it to go down in this way, don't we? He first wanted this jailer in his household to come to Christ and then I believe he wanted Paul to salvage the reputation of his gospel message in Philippi before leaving, and this act allowed for that to happen. And it also allowed for the church to remain in this Roman colony because they knew now that it had been started by two Roman citizens. This also buys Paul some time, a bit more time, to go back, check in on Lydia, check in on the other believers in this small congregation in Philippi before he leaves. Look at verse 40. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, the other convert at Philippi. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. They left a small congregation there 
that would soon grow into a great thriving church in Philippi. I love how Paul cares for God's people here. The last thing he does by revealing that he was a Roman citizen, he and Silas, he's not doing that for selfish reasons to say, you don't know who you've arrested. I'm a Roman citizen. That wasn't Paul's intent at all. But he's doing this for the sake of the believers there and for the sake of the church there in Philippi. And what they lead there at Philippi is an incredible church with an awesome ministry that produces solid believers in that city. Well, before we close this morning, I want to end by sharing with you a story I heard recently about an event that happened after the Titanic sunk. This story was told about four years after. There was a survivor who shared his testimony. And he said as he was drifting alone after the ship had sank and he was hanging on to a piece of the ship, he said that the waters had brought a man to him and the man's name was John Harper. John Harper was a a Baptist minister from Great Britain, I believe, and he was hanging on to a piece of the wreckage. And he said as John Harper approached, he told me his name. My name is John Harper. And he called out, he said, Good fellow, are you saved? And the man said, No, I'm not. And he replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then the waves took him away, but strange to say, they brought him back a little while later. And he said again, man, are you saved yet? He said, no. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he said, after he said that, I watched him go down into the depths of the sea and I never saw him again. And this man said, as I was alone there in the night with miles of water underneath me, I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved. I was John Harper's last convert. I love that story. And the reason why I tell that story this morning to close is because this man, John Harper, was a lot like Paul and Silas, wasn't he? Doing whatever it takes to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, not wasting any opportunity, rejoicing in the Lord always and faithfully sharing Christ till the end. Believers, don't you want to be this kind of witness for Christ? Is Christ truly your treasure? Are you faithfully sharing him with others? Do people know that your hope is in Christ in the words of your mouths and the actions of your hands and feet? Do they know that Christ is your treasure by the way in which you're putting others before yourself? By the way in which you're enduring hardship, keeping a song on your lips? That's how you become a faithful and fruitful witness for Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not yet there. You're, you're in the position of the jailer. Or you're like that man who is floating out at sea. God has brought you to the end of yourself and you're at your wit's end and you truly feel as if all hope is gone. If this is you, I want you to listen once again to the words of Paul to a man who is about to put his life to an end by the sword. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you 
will be saved. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Is Christ your Lord today? If not, hear me when I say this. He is who you need most. Do not leave here today without giving your life up and over to him. Would you pray with me?